Welcome to the Reader House Author Roundtable, where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. I'm your host, Corey Graham. Join us here every Friday night at 8 p.m. or listen anytime via podcast at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and PodServe, to name just a few. The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore, where the independent new authors come first. The Adventures of Lucy Liu, Poor Max, The Light Sword Rescue. That's the new book. It's out right now, written by Sally and Sam Rogers. I'm really happy that Sally is right here with me now, and we're going to talk all about the book. Sally, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for letting me come to your podcast. Well, it's my pleasure to have you here. So, Sally, can you tell me all about the book, The Adventures of Lucy Liu? Oh, well, I'm so excited about this book because I know it's going to help a lot of adults and kids. The reason I wrote this book is this book is all about the grief process. Mm. I'm a teacher, and about three years ago, I had a student who lost his mom tragically, and he went through all the different grief processes, and I saw that there was nothing for him out there. So I wrote a book that deals with all the emotional problems going on with the grief process and that it is okay to go through that. So I think it's vital for someone to read the book because they could see the grief process happening in the story as it's being told out. And then, of course, there is a very happy ending, unpredictable at the end. I think it's fantastic that you're speaking about grief both to children and to adults here. So this is one that both can enjoy. Yes, yes. Adults can do it, too, because we all, whether you're a child or an adult, we all go through the grief process, all the different stages. You don't think you might, but you do. You go through that emotional phase. You go through the denial, the sadness, the anger, you know. Mm -hmm. But then hopefully at the end, things will turn around and you will be happy again and know that everything is okay. Sally, is this a book that took a long time to write and put through the publishing process? Yes, yes, because I had to think about it for a long time. I wanted to know what to do and how to do it in the right way. I wanted to tug at the heartstrings and still give the comfort and spirit to the families that they, you know, they share a story of loss, but also encouragement at the end. I want them to know that there is a hope out there. Even though you have lost a beloved friend, family member, or pet, that, you know, it's okay to go through that process but you find a rainbow at the end. There'll be a beautiful sunrise come up, and there'll be people there for you, helping you along the way. Sally, what does your writing background look like? Have you ever done anything like this before? I have done one other book. It's called The Adventures of Lucy Liu, The Big Job. Hmm. And it's about my husband and myself, and he actually uses Lucy as a puppy to ask me to marry him. And so she goes through all the different stages of that. We love to go to schools because I am a teacher. I love to go to schools all over California, wherever. And we love to read the kids to tell them how important it is to be a good reader and writer. And these days, it's so important to become a writer in whatever you do, especially for technology. Kids need to know how to write. Mm, Absolutely. I'm getting the sense that Lucy Lou might be becoming a series. Is that a thing? Oh, yes. And it's a true story, poor Mac. Poor Mac deals with him losing Lucy. 
it is our very first Lucy Lou, and she did pass away in the arms of my uh, husband. Oh. But yes, yeah, so Max did go through all those processes, and we saw it happening. So when we saw that, we thought, we got to turn this into a book that can help others through that grief process. What's it like when you finally get the first physical copy of your book in after all that time and energy you put into it? It is so exciting. I just want to shout to the world, hey, world, I have this book, and it's awesome, and <laughs> Please take it and read it and enjoy it. I know it's going to hit somebody somewhere. I mean, I talk to everybody about the book and they're like, oh my, I just had a friend who lost someone or my friend's son just lost a pet. And like I say, I'm a teacher and I, a parent of mine just was telling me, you know, my student just lost their dog. And I'm like, well, I have to have a book that could help. Mm. And so, you know, I just want to help. That's my main goal in life is to help someone. Well, I know that grown-ups and kids alike are really going to enjoy this book and this whole series. They should check it out. The title is The Adventures of Lucy Liu, Poor Max, The Light Sword Rescue. This is written by Sally and Sam Rogers, and it's published by Christian Faith Publishing. Of course, you can find it everywhere, like at Amazon or at Barnes & Noble or iTunes or also traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Well, Sally, it's been wonderful chatting with you here tonight. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, and God bless you, and have a great day. This book is a personal memoir about the ride of a lifetime. It's called 15 Minutes with Fame, 50 Years Among the Stars. It's written by Anthony Salerno, Jr., and Tony, the author, is right here with me, and we get to talk all about it. Tony, welcome to the Reader House Author Roundtable. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me, Corey. Well, it's my pleasure. Tony, can you tell me all about this book? It sounds really interesting, 15 Minutes with Fame. Well, you know, Andy Warhol once famously said that everybody's going to get their 15 minutes of fame. Well, in my career, which spanned 50 years in the entertainment business, I discovered that I was getting the opportunity to spend 15 minutes with hundreds, if not thousands, of celebrities, stars, political figures, etc. And over the course of that years, I uh, discovered that I was learning about those people, what they were like backstage, and I remembered those memories. And so I decided I'd put it all down. Hmm. How long did this whole thing take you, Tony? Well, it sort of happened in a cathartic kind of way. Uh, I was retiring from the business, had more time on my hands, found that as I got older, those memories lived more vividly because I guess I had more time to think about them. Hmm. So I just started jotting them down. I did it in a chronological kind of order, beginning with my early uh, days, beginning in the business. And it just sort of took off from there. When I had a moment or when the notion struck me, I'd sit at the computer. Sometimes I recorded my thoughts and then transcribed them. And it just came together in that way. Hmm. Now, I understand this is your first book, Tony. Yeah, it is. Congratulations. What was the most challenging part about the whole thing? Well, you know, I never took any contemporaneous notes. And so this truly is a memoir in the sense that it's just my memories. So I wanted to make sure that I didn't make things up. Mm. Things actually happened the way I remembered them. So there would be lots of calls to former colleagues and friends and people that I went through some of those experiences with. And while that was a challenge, it was also a great opportunity to reconnect with people that I hadn't spoken to in years mm. and to just relive those moments. Must have been quite a day then when it finally came, that first physical copy of 15 Minutes with Fame, Tony. What was that moment like? It was very exciting. You know, the box that you see on TV and movies all the time arrived. Mm. 
and we cracked it open, and there they were. The cover, the way I had designed it with the designer at the publishing company, and then to actually be able to leaf through it and see the words there in book format, it was a lot of fun. It was pretty cool. What are the chances you'll think you'll be doing more writing, maybe more publishing up ahead of us? Well, there are a couple of things rattling around in my mind, and I never envisioned myself an author in the sense of writing a book. Hmm. Through my career, I would do continuity writing. I would certainly review lots of scripts and work with writers in that regard, both in the entertainment business and and even for a short while in the political side of it. But I never envisioned myself being someone who would sit down and, and write a book, let alone two books. I do have a couple of thoughts. And sometimes I think it's more for the family and more for a uh, legacy kind of thing than wanting to get it out to the whole world. But we'll see what develops. I'm sure you learned a lot along the way of doing this, Tony. Do you have any words of wisdom for the authors out there who are just starting out? I don't know how much wisdom there'll be in my words, but (laughs) just go ahead and do it and just keep writing. Don't try and make it perfect the first time. Mm. Just sit down and write and keep writing, and whatever thoughts come to you, write them. Worry about the form, worry about the grammar and the syntax and all of those kinds of things at a later date. Get your thoughts down, and then when it seems like, geez, I can't do this anymore, keep doing it. And eventually you end up with a couple of hundred or 300 pages. Mm. Is that how you'd get through those tough times, Tony? Maybe where you were having a hard time coming up with the words or the ideas about what to write next? Would you just sit there and push through it? Yeah, I think I did. Mm. And again, some people who've read it that know me well said it's written the way I speak, for better or for worse. Mm. They could hear my voice in it. They could hear me talking, as it were. So I just kept trying to do it as if I was having a conversation with somebody, as if I was telling the story and not worrying about all of the fine points of it. I think a lot of people are really going to love this fascinating book. Again, it's titled 15 Minutes with Fame, 50 Years Among the Stars. This is written by Anthony Salerno Jr., and it's published by Fulton Books. Of course, you can grab it up anywhere like on Amazon or Barnes & Noble, iTunes, Google Play, and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Tony, I appreciate you joining me on the show tonight and telling me about all these fascinating stories. I had a nice time chatting with you. Well, my pleasure, Corey. Thanks so much for uh, giving me the opportunity and hope you enjoy the book. Hyper-Religiosity to Grace. It's the new book. It's in stores right now. It's written by Thomas Ryland. And Thomas is joining me right now here at the Reader House Author Roundtable, and we get to talk all about it. Thomas, welcome. Thank you for joining me. Thank you. Glad to be here. I'm glad to be talking with you here tonight. Can you tell me all about what readers can expect in Hyper-Religiosity to Grace? Absolutely. It's a 10-year journey through a mental condition I had while I was a believer, but also struggling at the same time. And hyper-religiosity is kind of a broad term. It can include many different things, but in my world, it meant not understanding the voice of the Lord correctly and having these grandiose thoughts of what God wanted me to do and not do and putting a lot of pressure on myself, Mm. unnecessary pressure. And so it kind of just catalogs that whole journey, and it's very intense. My career comes to an end. I end up in a mental institution for a brief period, but ultimately God brings me out of all that. He shows me his love and his grace. He shows me where I had had a lot of misunderstandings. And so ultimately, it's a story of hope. Wow. 
What a story, Thomas. What inspired you to write this and release it to the world? To be honest, when I first started to write, I was going to write a fiction with part of my life in it because I knew I'd been through some things that were pretty intense. And I started writing it. And as I was going through it, probably about 60% of the way, I realized I'm not getting off of my character and not, and it's basically sticking to the script of my life. So at about the second half of the book, I decided I'm going to go ahead and make this about my situation. You know, because it was hyper-religiosity and because I was a believer, I did not want to not give God the glory for ultimately bringing me out of that. Instead of going with a fiction, I just stuck with the script and ultimately talked about the goodness of God. Mm. Thomas, what kind of readers do you think would get the most out of your story? I would say pretty much it's an interesting story for multiple reasons. The story will make you laugh at some points. There's some areas that are very sad. I believe it's also encouraging because it's a story of never giving up. Mm. And I would say a broad variety of readers. There's a couple areas in that book where it's, you know, they're more mature concepts, but they're presented in a Christian way. Mm. What does your writing background look like, Thomas? Have you ever taken anything on like this before? This is my first book. You know, I went to college and I've always done well in school growing up. You know, math is my strong suit, but I was also a good writer on technical things. And I just started writing my story and thought this is worth giving a shot. What was it like when you got that first hard copy in and you got to hold it in your hands and look at it for the first time? It's very rewarding to see that come to pass. And, you know, there's so many people that have a story. You know, everybody I run into, they have a story. And it's rewarding to know that something gets passed on from here, you know, in my life that maybe somebody could pick up somewhere else and get something from it. Hmm. Do you have plans to maybe do more writing and publishing in the future, Thomas? Funny enough, I just finished up a manuscript. It's more about the lessons of life and the takeaway and kind of the things that I would have told myself 15 years ago, things that the Lord has kind of helped me grow and learn and how to avoid pitfalls and how to just win in Christ. Hmm. That's going to be coming out. It's going to be basically a book about concepts in Christ that, that would have been valuable to me 15 years ago. Thomas, this was your first book, so I'm sure you learned an awful lot along the way of doing this. Do you have any words of advice that you could offer to the aspiring authors listening to us? Absolutely. I would say that every person has a story to tell, and if you don't, you haven't written much, just start small, you know, maybe in a journal, and you have something to tell the world. So just start small and go from there. What happens when the writing gets challenging for you, Thomas? Maybe you hit writer's block, or maybe you hit a point where you don't know what to write next. How do you get through stuff like that? Well, I kind of, I guess it's because of my engineering mind. I pretty much plan out a lot of things in advance. I almost never sit down not knowing what I'm going to talk about next. Mm. So, like, throughout the week, I'm already thinking about what the next chapter is going to be. And then I just do that. And then I, after that chapter, I stop. And then I think about the next one. So I kind of pre-plan everything. I mean, other writers do it different, but that's my strategy. I think a lot of readers will be blessed by this book. The name is Hyper-Religiosity to Grace. It's written by Thomas Ryland, and it's published by Christian Faith Publishing. You can get it everywhere, like at Amazon and Barnes & Noble and iTunes and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Well, Thomas, it's been wonderful chatting with you here tonight on the show. Thank you again for joining me. Thank you, Corey. Have a good day. Talking with me here right now at the Reader House Author Roundtable is author Sharon Boykin. Sharon, thank you for joining me tonight. Welcome to the show. Awesome. How are you? 
I'm doing fine, thanks, and I imagine you're doing pretty well. You have a new book in stores right now. It's called Alleys of Your Mind, Release Your Mind, and the Rest Will Follow. So, Sharon, can you tell me about this book? Well, it chronicles my life for sure. The first 23 years of things that I was, came out of when I went toward the Lord, and it's the only way that I could uh, explain it is that I was going toward the Lord because he's the only one that could help me. Mm. What sorts of readers were you writing for here, Sharon? I was writing for people that don't understand that they may be in something that goes against what God would have for them. Just everyday things that we may conquer or come across that we may have grew up with and think it's okay to do. And I found myself in a dark place following some of those things that I thought was just natural and everyday things. So what sparked you to write your story and publish it for the world? Well. What started the part of it, I was watching Locked Up Abroad, which is a little show on uh, Nat Geo. And I told my husband, I turned to him and I said, I've got a story. And I told him about it. And it kind of triggered a whole lot of things that I wanted to share because I know that others have been in those situations where they trusted a friend and got them in a situation they shouldn't have been in. But it also opened up my mind to just share things that I grew up with, misusing my gifts that God had given me. Mm -hmm. I'd assume this might have been sort of tough for you to write your story and everything that you went through. Did this take you a long time? It did. It was very hard to write. It was one of the hardest things I've ever had to do, actually, mm -hmm. you know, to just share myself like that. And just go into the inner parts of my mind and just let God use me because I wanted to share with those that do not know the truth about it. And it was very hard. Over a period of time, I wrote down different journals, you know, just within the past 10 years mainly. And it all just came together when I started watching that show and just different things I went through throughout life. Just brought it all together. Mm. Have you ever done anything like this before when it comes to writing or publishing? Well, I hadn't published anything uh, yet, but I did have a whole lot of things that I wrote for different friends. They wanted to express themselves in letters or just different things and playwriting. I can do that. and I can uh, improv act. Mm. And I did a lot of acting in various plays. You know, I can just put words together that make sense. I love true stories. And a lot of that, I believe, come from the inside, just how I feel about a true story being told the right way. Mm. Sounds like you really enjoy writing, Sharon. Can we expect more books from you in the future then? I believe so. I believe so. I'm, it's so much more I can tell about Alleys of Your Mind. Just a lot of things that couldn't go in the book at that moment. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of different parts to certain segments of it that I know I can explain more and go into more detail. A lot of people listening to us right now, Sharon, are authors who are just starting out. So do you have any words of wisdom that you could offer them? Well, I would say be true to yourself. Don't overthink it. And I think if you just be true to yourself and go that route, it'll be easier to do. Because if you overthink it, you may put too much on you and never finish the project. We can all start a project, but it's the finishing part. That's the important thing. Absolutely. Sharon, you said this was one of the toughest things that you've ever had to do in your life. So when that day finally came and the first hard copy of Alice of Your Mind came in, what was that moment like for you? 
I work on projects. So I was out of town and my husband told me, Bay, your books, uh, some books have came to the house. And I said, open them up. And I had him come up the weekend to see me about 400 miles. He drove and wow. he bought me one. And I tell you what, when I had that in my hand, it was just like, okay, it's out now. Now what? <laughs> Because mm. there's nothing you can do at that point mm-hmm. but accept it and take it by the horn and say, go. Mm-hmm. And I just felt overwhelmed. It was overwhelming. Overwhelming. No other way to put it. Well, I know a lot of people are going to be blessed by your story, Sharon. The title of this book is Alleys of Your Mind. Release your mind and the rest will follow. This is written by Sharon Boykin and it's published by Christian Faith Publishing. Of course, you can find it anywhere like Amazon or Barnes & Noble or iTunes and also traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Well, Sharon, it's been wonderful having you on the show here tonight. Thanks again for joining me. I appreciate it. I really do. Thank you. This is a fascinating novel. It's a story of a priest that takes readers through Rome, Florence, Venice, and elsewhere. The title is Deer in the Fields of Venice, a novel. It's written by D.M. Zoltowski. And DM is right here with me now. We're going to chat all about it. DM, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining me tonight. Thank you, Corey. Thank you so much. I'm very excited. I'm excited to talk about this novel. Can you tell me what's going on in it? Well, like you just said, it's a story of a priest who gets the opportunity from one of his former students and his father to do a trip, a bus tour through Italy, going with Rome, Florence, and Venice starts off really where his student Cam shares a very intimate, deep secret with Father Maurice. And this really sparks off their relationship being deeper than student teacher. And it's turning more into like a spiritual friend, really. Mm. And this ticket comes into his hands because Jim, Cam's father, while his wife had just left him, calls him from California and lets him know she's not coming home. So this ticket falls in his hands and he's thinking what to do with it. And he notices the connection, this trust that Cam has with Father Maurice. So he offers this opportunity. And when Maurice gets there, what happens is he starts seeing this country in a much different light. His whole life was based on books. And travel really was not in the equation. He saw travel as something to be kept in the books. He never really stepped out of his comfort zone. So being there and seeing it is changing a lot in him. And he meets so many other people. One is a woman, Isabel, who's on the trip. She has a lot of baggage that she's also carrying. And what happens is this friendship is causing him to like see things a little differently. He's seeing things in a different light, and he starts seeing himself. And there's actually a statement that the Monsignor says to Maurice about this trip. And he says, that is why our Lord chose Italy for the center of our faith. Anywhere else, and we would die off from boredom. And it's so true. You know, there's so much going on over there. And, you know, we can't be bored. And he's learning that God is not finished with him yet. I understand that your novel is to Anne. Can you talk about that? Yes. Okay. So Anne is actually Anne Frank. Hmm. I have a deep devotion to her, starting with when I read her diary and had the opportunity actually recently to go visit her house in Amsterdam. Hmm. And I have such a great admiration, but, you know, even sort of like spiritual friendship with her. And, you know, the things that she wrote in particular, talking about how there's someone out there who will be able to read her words Hmm. and 
You know, and I, I see that so much in my own work because, you know, I write for other people. I don't write to keep it under a shelf. You know, I want mm. other people to read it when it was published and I first had it in my hands. That was great, but it didn't really hit me until I held someone else's copy. And then I realized, oh my gosh, this is real. <laughs> you know, it, <laughs> it just, it, now someone else is reading what I wrote. So I have like a, just a deep admiration where, you know, she did not expect what would happen with her work. Mm. And it's just touched so many lives and it's touched mine. So I dedicated it to her because of the inspiration that was there while I was writing it. Have you thought about a follow-up to this maybe or another kind of book in the future? Not a follow-up to this one. I think as you'll see at the end of it, you'll see that the story is over. Mm. So that's a very nice surprise ending I have in store for the readers. But I am actually working on a couple pieces now. I am also a, uh, an artist. I work with fountain pen ink, and mm. I'm working on a series of monks, actually, and telling and stories about them. You know, just a story of a fictional story of a monastery and telling those stories. I also am working on a new novel. This one is moving a little bit differently, moving more into the realm of a serial killer. So I'm starting that, and I'm very excited to get that rolling and very excited to see where I can take that. Mm. I know a lot of readers are going to be into this book and should check it out. The title is Deer in the Fields of Venice, a novel. This is written by D.M. Zoltowski, and it's published by Newman Springs Publishing. You can find this one everywhere, like on Amazon and Barnes & Noble, iTunes, and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. DM, it's been wonderful having you on the show here and talking all about your work. I hope we can chat again sometime soon. I hope so, too, Corey. Thank you so much. It's been an honor. This is an illustrated book of the story of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, and it's called The Gospel of John, first issue of a seven-book series. It's written by Lawrence Finney, and Lawrence is sitting right here with me now. We're going to chat all about it. Lawrence, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me, sir. I appreciate you being here. Can you tell me all about the Gospel of John? What can readers expect in this book? Well, I think it's a dramatic telling of the story. I try to be very faithful to the uh, text in terms of the imagery that's presented. But I definitely wanted to have a kind of a comic book feel, but it's rendered in a very fine art style. So I wanted to have some subtlety to it. But still, I wanted it to appeal to someone who might be a graphic novel reader. Mm. What gave you the idea to do this graphic interpretation of the Book of John? Well, about 12 years ago, I wanted the challenge of rendering biblical subject matters. Mm. Obviously, I've been an artist my whole life, uh, commercially, and also in the fine arts. But at that point, I had not really delved into doing biblical art. So I thought it would be a challenge to try to do biblical art in a, in a narrative form. Hmm. So you say you wrote this pretty much for fans of graphic novels. Well, you know, initially, I could say 12 years ago, initially, I just thought of it as a challenge that, you know, it would be really interesting for it to be in the book. And then over the course of the years that I worked on it on and off, I thought, you know, graphic novel would be a really good place for the book to be. You know, I had a light interest in graphic novels to see, mm. seeing how they developed. I thought, you know, this would be the place for it. Have you ever published before this? Not as an author, as a commercial artist, and then as a, uh, as a fine artist. My work has been published over the years. 
But as far as me uh, initiating a book and developing a book, no, I, this is the first time. Mm, congratulations. How long does something like this take to write and publish? I started on it in 2010, uh, just doing sketches, and I do it. I did a book map, several book maps, and developed that over the course of time. And a book map is basically thumbnail sketches showing how a magazine or a book might flow from text to text, image to image. But after deciding to self-publish and going through the whole publishing process, developing a manuscript. That's when it really, really got deep into the whole process of writing a book. Being an artist, doing a book based on an already written text, I would liken it to being like a uh, scriptwriter. Mm -hmm. A scriptwriter who might do an adaption of a book or a text. Doing the manuscript is like that. You already have your text, but you're putting it into a different form, and you are describing how it's to be visualized and the pacing of it and so forth. Now, there's nothing like the physical product, especially when you're an artist like you are, Lawrence. So what was it like when you finally got the first hard copy of the Gospel of John and you got to hold it? Well, I was very excited. The choice of paper, the size and feel of the book, I found it to be very satisfying. Mm -hmm. And of course, when you do an original piece of artwork and it's translated into printed material, sometimes you can gain, sometimes you can lose. Mm -hmm. I thought that the art of the book took on a completely different quality. And of course, you are making literary choices because you can have a text and you can pick out different things that you want to emphasize that that's important, that you feel are important to the story. And so, you know, you could have a bunch of different people that take the same text and develop it. And each person, as with anything almost that's artistic and creative, each person is going to interpret or emphasize different things and, and however they adapt that text. So it was exciting to see how, how it did turn out and the creation that it actually turned out to be. So, I mean, it was, it was very exciting. Mm -hmm. I know a lot of readers are going to be blessed by this book. The title is The Gospel of John, first issue of a seven-book series. This is written by Lawrence Finney, and it's published by Christian Faith Publishing. And you can find this everywhere, of course, like at Amazon and Barnes & Noble, iTunes, and down the street at your local bookshop. Lawrence, thank you again for joining me here at the show and telling me all about your work. I had a nice time chatting with you tonight. Same here. Thank you so much, sir. Sitting down here beside me right now at the Reader House Author Roundtable is author Joan Paris. Joan, welcome to the Reader House Author Roundtable. Thank you for being here with me tonight. Thank you for having me, Corey. It's a pleasure. It's only God's grace. The pleasure is all mine, Joan. Thank you so much for your time. You have a new book out in stores right now called God's Plan. Can you tell me all about this book, Joan? Yes, God's Plan is an inspiration. This book, it motivates you to the view of life that you have. More people would view it as I have if they are spiritual. So you're reaching out to primarily a Christian audience then with this? Christian and non-Christian, because it has valuable things that would motivate them. If they endure certain things in life, they will deeply appreciate this book. Hmm. Was this a book that took you a long time to write and publish, Joe? No. Actually, it only take me seven months. And what sparked you to write this? Where did the idea come from? The Holy Spirit. I'm telling you, God is amazing. Hmm. It sounds like you've led quite an extraordinary life, especially when it comes to your relationship with God. 
Yes, definitely. I spend more time praying and praising God more than anything else. Mm. Joan, when it comes to writing and being published, is this your first time in that arena? No, actually, um, I have written my first book in 2021, To Belong, My Seed in the Ground Speak Louder Than Any Enemy's Voice, but I wrote it on The Remnant Child. Do you think you have more in you? Do you plan on writing and publishing more in the future? Yes, I have started several books, two more, Hmm. actually. So I have that on the table right now. That's fantastic. There's nothing like seeing the product of all that hard work, all that time that you've put into something. So, Joan, when you get the first copy in, like when you got God's plan in, you got to hold it for the first time and look at what you've created. What was that moment like for you? It was like, oh, my God, I just put my hands up and thank God for his grace in my life Mm. and what he has done for me, because I have never dreamt of being an author. A lot of people listening right now, Joan, are authors who are just starting out. They want to get their first book out there, too. Do you have any advice from what you've learned that you could tell them? Stick to what you have inside because it will come out as you start writing once you depend on God. When you look back over all the time and work that you put into this, Joan, what's the most rewarding aspect, would you say, of now being a published author? But every day I can um, look at the cover and say, you know, God has done this for me, and people will see that there is value in other people instead of just looking at them at face value. The cover is so important. It's the first thing that people see when they're looking at books often. So, Joan, when it comes to the cover, it's beautiful. What does it mean to you? It means that it will attract the right people because it speaks to me Mm -hmm. when I see the cover. It speaks to me. It's hard to go at something like this alone, Joan. It's hard to write a book and publish a book. It's so much work like we were talking about. Are there people that you have in your life who knew that you were writing this, knew that you were taking a big project like this on? They could be there to maybe be inspirational or motivational for you. My spiritual father, Alf Lukau, he has been an inspiration for me to write. He said, try to do something for yourself. There is something in everyone Mm -hmm. that needs to give birth to. And I took it and I ran with it. Sometimes for a lot of us writers, it's not always easy. Sometimes you get writer's block or sometimes you just don't have the ideas for where to take your book next. Joan, do you deal with those sorts of challenges? And if you do, how do you get through them? Actually, I do sometimes, and I just put the book aside, put the writing aside, and start praying and meditating, and just block out everything else. And then it starts flowing freely. Writing starts come like nothing. I know a lot of readers are going to find a lot of hope and a lot of inspiration in this book. The title is God's Plan. This is written by Joan Paris, and it's published by Christian Faith Publishing. You can find this book everywhere, like at Amazon and Barnes & Noble and iTunes, and down the street at your local bookshop. Well, Joan, it's been wonderful having you on the show and talking with you today. Thank you again for being here. It's a pleasure being here, and thank you for having me. The Parable of the Coal. This is the new book. It's in stores now, written by Matthew Swan. And Matthew is sitting right here with me now at the Reader House Author Roundtable, and we're going to chat all about it. Matthew, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining me tonight. 
It's great to be here. Thanks for letting me come. It's my pleasure. Matthew, what can readers expect in the parable of the coal? What I wanted them to expect is just kind of a short story that helps people maybe feel good about not carrying a grudge. Let me put it that way. Hmm. What kinds of readers were you reaching out to with this, do you think? Generally, it'd be the older people. Those are the ones who tend to, you know, seem to carry a grudge and then they let it affect their own life. And many times I found that, you know, the person who offended them really had no clue that they offended them and just went on with their life and never got affected by them trying to show, well, I'm going to show you type of an attitude. Matthew, what sparked the inspiration for this book? What gave you the idea for it? It actually started from my son told me a story that's called The Parable of the Coal, where he had met an individual who, of all places, got offended at church and was going to show them and not show up at church. Mm. And uh, when he relayed this story to them of the parable of the coal, it changed his life. And so what actually happened then is I thought that would make a great poem. And so I sat down and wrote it in a poem fashion. And then later on, an individual said, that would make a great book. You should write a book. So that's kind of how that got going. Mm. Now, before you wrote and published The Parable of the Coal, Matthew, have you ever done anything like that before? I've written poems before, but never written a book. So this is the first one for me. Was the whole thing a long process for you? Actually, it wasn't. This idea came to me really quick, and I probably had it written in less than 40 hours. Wow. What was the most challenging thing then about the publishing end of things for you? Publishing was probably going through the editing of it Mm. and everything else, you know, having to get the licenses and everything else going on there. For me, the easiest part was actually writing the book. Mm. When that day finally came, Matthew, you got the first hard copy in of The Parable of the Coal. What was that day like? I was so ecstatic on that one. It was just wonderful to get it and read it and see that something had finally been put together that I can go and share with people. Mm. What are the chances we'll see more books from you in the future now? I don't know. I've contemplated about taking a lot of my poems and trying to put them into a book. So we'll see on that one. But nothing right now in the works. A lot of people listening to us right now, Matthew, are authors just starting out, the aspiring authors out there. Do you have any advice or words of wisdom that you could offer them? Probably the best advice I could give somebody is don't let other people knock you down on this. To actually just go through and do it. And it's amazing. If you get a good publisher there, it's just amazing what they can do. And you guys have been wonderful helping me to put this together and that. And it's just a great teamwork on there. And so just don't be afraid of going forward with it. That would be my advice to them. That's great advice. Matthew, you mentioned teamwork, and it's certainly hard to go about something like this alone. Did you have people around you in your life who knew you were taking this kind of thing on and they were there to support you? I had a few people on that one. Uh, One individual who actually wrote one of the recommendations there in the book was the one who actually told me, you need to write a story and put this in a story format and that. And so that was really kind of inspiration because he has written books and had books published. So coming from him, I was like, oh, okay, good. I've got a cheerleader on my side. Mm, It's important. Matthew, now that you've done this for the first time, what's the most rewarding aspect for you of now being a published author? Probably when I talk with people who have read it and they've come back and said, you know, I just loved your message. I learned a lot from it and I learned that I need to give up holding grudges on that one. And so it just makes you feel like, hey, I made a difference in somebody's life. When you sit down to do some reading, Matthew, what kinds of books do you find yourself drawn to? 
I like history books or feel-good books, books that help lift me up, elevate me. Those type of books, not really into the scary books or horror stuff or anything like that. I just like, I like the feel-good books. Mm. I think a lot of people are going to get a lot out of this book, and my listeners should check it out. The title is The Parable of the Coal. It's written by Matthew Swan, and it's published by Christian Faith Publishing. You can find this everywhere, like at Amazon and Barnes & Noble, iTunes, and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Well, Matthew, thanks again for coming on the show and telling me all about the parable of the coal. I had a really nice time talking. Same here, and I appreciate you taking the time. A Biopsychosocio-Spiritual Taxonomy. That's the name of the new book. It just hit stores. It's written by Dr. Stacy Burdick. And Dr. Burdick is right here with me now, and we're going to chat all about it. Dr. Burdick, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, great to be here. Can you tell me what readers can expect in a biopsychosocial-spiritual taxonomy? Well, what, what they can expect is to learn how to build better relationships and to realize that the building of better relationships, whether it's a relationship with oneself or other people, is it is a vigorous, heart-wrenching journey, and that mm. this book is an invitation to begin that journey. Mm. Dr. Burdick, who are you writing to in this? Did you have a certain set of readers that you were reaching out to? Not specifically. It's an invitation for readers or listeners of any age. Mm. And I really mean that because it's imperative that as young or old readers and or listeners, if someone's reading it to us, to really gain a clear and meaningful understanding of our pain and suffering. And in so doing, we, we benefit ourselves and, and we learn to build better relationships, whether it's parent-child or child-parent or friendships as adults. It's going to help us. It invites us. The book is an invitation to invite us to a sense of well-being that really needs to happen at the youngest possible age. And when it does, it benefits us for old age, for those golden years. So it really isn't hugely associated with one particular audience. The title might seem a bit abstract, yet I know the title, Biopsychosocial Spiritual Taxonomy, to be the best descriptor of both pain and personhood. And so anyone really wanting to understand more about pain and what it means to be human are the target readers. Now, when it comes to writing and publishing a book like this, have you ever done anything like this before? I'm a behavioral health doctor, so I've self-published some curriculum. I write to help process things mm. for myself. There's a beautiful value to the written language, whether it's in the form of journaling or authoring a book, and it's transformative. Mm. It's a good guide. Writing is a good guide to the expression of what's heartfelt to me and to help me to define a uh, sense of well-being for myself and to encourage others in the same direction. Hmm. Do you think you'll have more books after this? Do you have anything planned? Yeah, I do. Uh, I call it talk therapy, the prevalence and severity of pain. Pain is may seem like a painful term. It, it really isn't. Pain is simply an invitation. Pain is prevalent. It's a constant variable. And so understanding its meaningfulness and its purposefulness in our lives is why it's there. Pain is very prevalent. It's a constant variable. But it's not as bothersome as it is prevalent, unless, of course, it is. I mean, there's some pain that is so overwhelming 
that uh, we are in desperate need for comfort. And so I think that because humans are a narrative species, that pain is meant to be conversive, whether it's medical pain or psychological pain or hurt feelings or harsh emotions or relationship issues, loss or spiritual pain. Pain is something that's meant to be conversive. It's meant to be talked about. It's meant to draw people together to learn compassion, mm-hmm. to learn to value each other and to realize that pain is simply alerting mankind to something being wrong, something's out of balance. And so it's meant to draw people together. Hmm. I know a lot of people are going to find help in this book. It's titled A Biopsychosocio-Spiritual Taxonomy. It's written by Dr. Stacy Burdick, and it's published by Fulton Books. You can get it everywhere, like Amazon and Barnes & Noble, Google Play, iTunes, and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Dr. Burdick, it was wonderful having you on the show here today. Thanks again for joining me. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Appreciate your interest. This book is a thrilling sci-fi ride, and more. It's called Crystal Child, the Diamond Star Saga. The author is Carol Kaufman, and I'm really happy that Carol is joining me right now here on the show, and we get to chat all about it. Carol, welcome. Thank you for being here tonight. Well, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to talk about this. Well, I'm excited, too. This book sounds really exciting. Can you tell me all about Crystal Child? Well, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty long saga, but it is very exciting. It, as you said, is a sci-fi, and I would call it a sci-fi plus thriller. And it centers on a, a young girl from Minnesota whose rather ordinary life is suddenly totally shattered when she finds herself in a world that's so strange and so bizarre that she is certain she's got to be dreaming. But slowly, she learns the truth. She's been teleported to a star by a group of brilliant scientists. And on that star, they have found a prophecy claiming that Crystal alone needs to be responsible for saving humanity from a complete annihilation. She knows this is a colossal mistake. She's only 13, for one thing. And the other thing, she's got an attention deficit disorder. Hmm. And as most kids with ADD, the harder she tries to think, the more her brain freezes. She just is thinking this has to be a cosmic joke. But as she tries to find answers, her adventures kind of take her from Earth to the Diamond Star to Cancri E, which is a planet about 40 light years away from Earth. And it's a real planet, actually. You can Google that. And this is where the robotic, terrifying thugs live. So that's all I'm going to say. I'm not going to give away the plot, but just say this is a complex saga, which ultimately shows the power of compassion and teamwork and pure grit to overcome all obstacles. And with Crystal, it shows her you don't have to have superpowers to save the Earth sometimes. Just being who you are is enough. That's it in a nutshell. I love it. Wow, it sounds like quite a ride. Carol, where'd you get the idea for this? As with a lot of ideas, it just came very serendipitously. I was, and I don't even remember what I was Googling way back. I think it was about 2015. But you know how you go to a link and that leads to another link and another link and (laughs) something popped up and they said, scientists have discovered a star that is about 50 light years from Earth and it is down to a white dwarf, as they call them. 
which is basically a giant cinder of carbon. And we know that carbon is diamond. So they theorize that basically what you have in the sky is a gigantic diamond. In fact, they called it Lucy. And this is actually true. It's something you can look up. And I thought to myself, ooh, that'd make a good children's story, (laughs) a kid's book. I think I'm going to start writing something. And that's the only goal I had in mind when I started writing it. And then somehow the settings and the characters just took on a life of their own. I've heard other authors say that. And I I think to myself, what do they mean? But now I know. (laughs) They just came to me and that's how it started. Was Crystal Child intended for younger readers then, would you say? Yeah, it was strange at first because Crystal is almost 13 and, and her birthday's in five days. And that's the big day that the world is either supposed to be saved or annihilated. And so something is going on with her birthday. When I first started out, I started reading all the rules for children's literature. And I found out, oh, my goodness, if if the protagonist is only 13, then your readers have to be nine. And other things, how many pages? It can only be 200 pages. And I went to my consultant who taught fiction writing at The Ohio State University. And she said, Carol, just write your story. So I did. And it ended up breaking some rules. So I would say that generally it would be for upper middle grades, Mm. but depending on the child and his or her interests, what I envision is parents and children reading this book together Mm. because there are a lot of issues that children are going through in this day and age, and it would be great to have an adult discuss these things with them. Mm. I know a lot of readers are really going to love this book and ought to check it out. The title is Crystal Child, The Diamond Star Saga. This is written by Carol Kaufman, and it's published by Fulton Books. You can grab this one anywhere, like at Amazon and Barnes & Noble, iTunes, Google Play, and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Well, Carol, thank you again for coming on the show and chatting with me about your work. I had a really nice time tonight. Okay, I, I really enjoyed it, too. Thank you so much. We hope you enjoyed this edition of the Reader House Author Roundtable where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. We hope to see you back here every Friday night at 8 p.m. or listen anytime via podcast at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and PodServe, to name just a few. The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore, where independent new authors come first. 